my wife loves to watch nature shows, and um, it's kind of one of those things I don't, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. I'm, I'm pretty impressed, though, like when you watch those nature shows, um, I think it's always like, wow, how do they get those shots? You know, you get those close-ups of these animals in these very, like, you've never seen them before, and it's in high definition, and we're just watching, like, planet Earth or, like, blue planet, and we're watching, like, this is crazy, this is awesome. Um, there, was, there was something I remember. It was from the BBC, and, and it's always David Attenborough. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's this British guy with this amazing voice, and he loves nature. But he's, he, uh, I remember this clip I watched, and he was, he was describing this plant. And it's this plant that, man, it's the weirdest. I, I think there are weird plants, but I think this plant that he was talking about is the weirdest plant that I've ever seen before. And the plant he was talking about was the Venus flytrap. I don't know if you've, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about a Venus flytrap, but it's a, it's a plant, and it kind of looks like this, and it has its teeth, like it's a plant with teeth. It's, it's really strange, but it has these, uh, it, it has its mouth, and basically, like the name implies, it's a Venus flytrap, and it, I was surprised how quick a Venus flytrap closes. I, I thought it was, it was one of those things that just slowly closed over, over the fly, but no, it snaps, and it, it, it closes so the fly can't, can't get out. And, and I'm watching it, and David Attenborough is, is narrating, he's explaining, you know, just, just how all the little things work. And, and the way a Venus flytrap works is that there are these little hairs inside of the Venus flytrap. And so when the fly goes inside and it triggers these hairs, the flytrap has an electrical current that goes, and it, it just automatically snaps shut. So you're kind of wondering, so then why does the fly... Why does a fly even go near a Venus flytrap? Because flies are very stupid. Flies are really dumb. Um, they're, not, they're not the smartest creatures. And, and the Venus flytrap, what it does, uh, uh, along its lips, along the edges, there is this sweet nectar. And it's this, it's this just sugar, probably just sugar water. I mean, it's just this sweet nectar that um, tricks the flies into thinking that, that the Venus flytrap is like a peach or it's like an apple or it's, it's like this delicious fruit that, that the fly is just confused. It's like, oh, what is this sugar water? Oh, this is delicious. And so the fly begins just to go in and suck on this, on this, on this nectar, and you would think it's that moment that the Venus flytrap would, 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 would close on it. No. Again, the, the fly has to go deep into the mouth, and it gets all the nectar, and it triggers these hairs, and it's then that the, the flytrap closes. That poor fly, you know, probably thought, I'm, I'm eating this delicious peach. The next thing they know, and it's so sad, like, it closes, and the fly is just trapped there. And it's not a quick death. It's a very slow death. It takes about 10 days. The fly is just in there. 10 days, dying, being eaten by a plant. Like, what a sad way to end your existence. It's like, you know, again, if there's a fly heaven, you know, go to heaven. So it's like, what, what killed you? And I'm sure a lot of them are like fly swatters. And this, this poor little fly, like, no, a Venus flytrap just ate me for 10 days. Like, that is such a sad way to go. And I feel so bad for these flies, even though flies are gross and disgusting. Um, but I was watching this, and I, I really thought about us as people. How so many times, how so many times we, we fall into these same kind of traps. And I think as Christians, we think, like, you know, we think we're, we're in the moral superiority because like, we don't fall into the same kind of traps that other people fall into. Um, and I, I think when I was even watching that, I was thinking about like alcoholics. I was thinking about people who drink too much. Like they're like these poor little flies, you know? What? Like how dumb can you be? Like, uh, like yes, you know, you drink this nectar and the nectar's so good and it's so delicious. But you know what? If it becomes a habit, there's eventually going to come a time where you're going to get 
you're going to get shut in the jaws of alcoholism. And, and there's no way out of it, and it's going to be a slow and painful death. And, you know, I, sta- I, you know, I stand up here, I'm like, the moral superior, like, yeah, so, you know, therefore, you know, we're not, we're not going to fall into that same trap. And I, I think what I've come to realize is, is that it's just one of those things that because we're dumb humans, we end up, we end up falling into these traps without even really realizing that these traps these traps are so, so tricky because the nectar is so good. And I'm not here to guilt anyone. I'm not, I'm not here to even talk about alcoholism. I'm not here to talk about your vices and your sins. Today, I'm truly, I want to talk to you about an idol, a trap, that I think many of you have never realized is a trap in your life or a trap that we have to face on a day-to-day basis. See, idolatry is something that is, it takes something good, Something that God has that God has given to you as a blessing, and and and, and as is, as good as it may be, as as wonderful as God's creation may be, we do something we're not supposed to do, which in, inevitably makes it a trap, something that's bad and that can kill you. And what we do is with these good things in our lives, we put them on a place of worship. We begin to worship them. Again, this is a good thing. It's, it's something that's good. It's probably good for you. But we do it and we handle it in a way that, that, that transforms it into something that's dangerous and bad. And so we take these good things and we put it in a place of worship and it will kill you. I know that sounds dramatic. I know that sounds like it, 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 doesn't, even, it, it doesn't even work, but truly, I, I want to explain to you today that there's only one thing, only one person that is deserving of that place of worship, and that is God. And, and God, you know, Jesus was such a nice guy, and I, I, I want to explain this. Even in the way I've read his sermons, I've read his words, Jesus is like super gracious. He's super merciful. He's very forgiving, very loving. But there's really one thing that he's just like, he puts his foot down. And, and, and basically, it's this one thing that if you break this one thing, that there's no way, there's no way for you to be in God's good graces. And that is, is that God deserves, God needs to be on this place of worship. And there's nothing else that can be in this place of worship. Nothing can be as important as God. And anytime we add something unto that place of worship, we are kicking God off his throne and we are putting this place, this thing in place. And I, I think Jesus even goes as far, and there, there are these crazy things that he says. Again, Jesus is like super nice and he talks in such loving language. But there's even this one time this guy is like saying, hey, I want to bury my dad. You know, I, my, my dad is, is, is either dead or he's going to die soon. And so I can't follow you until I bury my father. Again, Jesus, this guy who is talking about love, and he's talking about loving each other and loving God. You know what he tells this guy? He goes, let the, let the dead bury the dead. It's like, what? Jesus, this guy wants to go to his dad's funeral, and you're saying, you're saying that he, he shouldn't even go to his dad's funeral, and instead he should follow you. Again, Super hard, super difficult, but if Jesus took one thing incredibly seriously, and I'm sure he took a lot of things seriously, but the thing that I see him taking seriously beyond anything else is idolatry. Is if we put things in place of God, where God should be, we're inherently sinning. 
And it's not this sin that it's like God's like shame on you. It's the sin that will inherently lead to death. Because your heart is, your heart is only able to be where the thing you worship is. And so many of us, we worship things on earth. And so our heart is here on earth. Our desire, our passion is on the things of this earth. But let me explain to you something that will be in the rest of this message. The things of this earth will fade away. But if our hearts is directed to worshiping God, God is eternal. God is loving. God is caring. And therefore, our heart will follow. And our heart will be with the Lord. So Jesus tries to make this very clear, that you need to only worship God and everything else is secondary. This becomes really hard because as a, as a dad, as a father, you know, I look at my children. And I'm like, no, my children are so important. The question is, is are my children more important than God? And again, I, I, I'm, I'm not a holy person by any means. And so this is a very tough question. It's like, no, you know, sometimes my kids are more important than my relationship with God. Sometimes, sometimes they are. And that is something that I'm, I, I struggle with. That is something that I have to deal with. It's like, is, is truly the way my, my children are, my relationship with them, is that more important than my relationship with my Savior, with the one who has created me, the creator of the whole universe? And again, it's, it's a difficult question. Today we're going to continue on the book of John. And we're going to John chapter 15. Um, and, and we're going to be reading, like we always do, kind of a, a larger chunk. But I've read this passage so many times now. And I'm, I'm really not trying to twist the word. I'm trying to reveal it unto us, what, what the context of it says. That's why I choose to, to kind of do longer passages. I don't like doing short passages because I want you to even understand what the passage itself is saying and the context in which Jesus is saying it. And so if we go to John chapter 15, starting from verse 18, It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be, have been guilty of sin. I'm going to say that one more time. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them what the, the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in the law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper, the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. I'm going to repeat this. This is a really important verse. Verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogues. 
Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you, that whenever their hour comes, you may remember what I told them to you. This, this what Jesus is saying, we have to understand, Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem knowing that he is going to be put to death, knowing that he is going to be put on a cross, knowing that he's going to have to suffer for the sins of the world. And he explains to his disciples, the people that are following him, that as they persecute me, they will also persecute you. The world is persecuting me. The world hates me. The world is also going to hate you. And I remember hearing this as a kid and being like, dang, why am I a Christian? This sucks. Because I would go to school and I would think, I would look at my friends and I would be like, you're the world. You hate me, God, because you hate Jesus. And I think a lot of my friends were like, who's Jesus? And like a lot of it was this, this they didn't know even, they didn't even know who Jesus was. And so they were like, what, like I don't hate you. And I remember one of my close friends in, in high school was Muslim. And I remember he was like, yeah, I know, I know about your Jesus. Like, I don't hate Jesus. I don't hate Jesus at all. And we would talk and we, we'd have these relationships. And I would kind of be like, man, you know what? I'm not getting persecuted. Maybe I'm a bad Christian. Like maybe it's so wrong of me for me to be friends with my friend who's Muslim because, because he's not persecuting me. And Jesus is saying clearly that, that I, I'm going to be persecuted, right? Like I'm going to be persecuted because the world hates him and the world doesn't seem to hate me that much. Then we keep going in life and I do find some pushback, some persecution. But for me, it's a little different. For me, it wasn't the persecution from outside of the church. It was actually persecution from within the church. There's a lot of times, there's a lot of times that the persecution that I faced, the harshest persecution, and we're talking about the kind of persecution, and it's not like I was being stoned to death. It wasn't like I was, I, it was the kind of persecution that there, there literally was a time that I was asked to leave a church. And I was asked to no longer, no longer attend there. And it happened twice. Again, this is, this is where I was like, dude, it's me. It's like, it's my sin. It's, it's, it's the reason why I'm, I'm being asked to leave this church is because I, I am not good enough. But that, that, those are two stories I'm sure I'll share with you at another time of why I was asked to, to leave churches. And it's kind of weird because, you know, now I'm a pastor and I, I run into some of those people sometimes and I'm like, it's like, hey, remember that time you told me to leave your church? <laughs> I lead a church now. <laughs> oh, poor people. Um, so this happens, and I, you know, I read this passage again this week, over and over again, and I, something clicked in my head. The world that Jesus is talking about here is not the secular world, but it was actually the Jewish world, the religious world. Because he, he, this is something that, that, that kind of blew my mind a little bit. And may, it probably won't blow your mind, but it blew my mind. Jesus explains, he goes, I was saying these words to these people. They heard my words, so they have no excuse. But they heard my words, and yet they hated me because they don't know my father. These people saw the works that I did. They saw the works that I did that no one else done. And they saw it with their own eyes, and yet they didn't believe in me. And they hated me. Jesus is talking not about these pagan people out in the woods that have never heard of the name of Jesus. He, he's not talking about the people who live thousands of miles away that have never heard about Jesus. He's talking about people that have heard his words, 
seen his face and seen him do, saw him do miracles, and yet they rejected him. And as I read the Bible, I'm like, there is one group that particularly did that. They, were, they, they heard the words of Jesus, they saw his miracles, and yet they hated him, and yet they rejected him. And guess who it was? The Pharisees, the church people. The people who would go to the synagogue every single day, the people who would go to the synagogue every Saturday and, and observe Shabbat, observe Sabbath, they would go there and they would give their offerings, they would do all the things they need to do. They would give their tithes, they would do everything that they were supposed to do. But when they heard the words of Jesus, they rejected him. They said, no, you are a heretic, you are not a, you are not a follower of God, and definitely you are not the Son of God, definitely you are not the Savior, you are not the Messiah, and therefore, we want you to die. And again, this is the context of what Jesus is talking about. He's saying the world is going to persecute you the way the world persecuted me. And the thing that enlightened me is that many times that persecution comes within religious folk. The people that are, are in church to do the right thing. I think what ended up happening for the Pharisees, that I have to be careful even for myself, is I, I believe the Pharisees created an idol in a way that they weren't supposed to create an idol. You see, Jesus is asking us to worship him and him alone. Jesus is asking, saying, if you knew the Father, you would know me. You would know that we are the same, that we are one in the same. And so therefore, the reason why you reject me is because you don't know who the Father is. And I think what ends up happening is this. The Pharisees made the temple their God. The Pharisees made their religion their God. The Pharisees made the place where they worship, the law which they tried to adhere to, their God. And this is where you have to follow me and you have to understand what I'm trying to say. The temple is not bad. The law is not bad. But these, both of these things are not worthy of worship. They're great. They're good. It's, it's really good to go to temple. It's really good to read Torah, to read the word of God. It's really good to do these things. But to worship them? These things are tools in which leads us to worship to God, the one true God. Our worship is not meant to worship the law, to bow down before the Bible and say, oh, Bible, we worship you, we worship you. No, we read the Bible we read it and we say this is the word of God and therefore it leads us unto worship of God. I made us reread a, a verse in chapter 16, verse 2, which talks about they, they, they're going to kick you out of your, their synagogues and they're going to kill you in the name of God. I'm sorry, I don't think secular people are going to kill me in the name of God. What I see is, is religious people kicking people out, saying you are not worthy you are not worthy to be here. You are not worthy to be in our midst because you don't worship the same God that we do. Idolatry is bad, and I think what ends up happening is this. Because we are in these walls, we think that we are immune to idolatry because we, we, we worship God with our mouths. We worship God with our lip service. But many times what ends up happening is even... Even our community, as much as we love it, and I love our community so very much. You know, even last night we had, our, we had a small group, and, and we're just eating dinner together, talking about different things. And it's like, I, I, I drive home with a big smile on my face. I'm just so happy. Like, oh, I love my small group so much. 
These things are meant to lead us to worship to God, but many times we take what is good and we become so drunk with it that we forget why God has even given us this thing. God has even given us this community. God has given us this place to worship, to worship, not that we would worship this place. Our worship needs to be directed towards God and God alone. Jesus makes it, again, very clear that you cannot have two masters. You cannot love God and love money. And here's the thing, is that people have been trying to explain this to, to suffice our, our worldly desires. And so I've heard, I've heard even that simple phrase, you cannot love God and money. I've, I've heard this, be, be twisted and transformed into a way that will make you feel okay for having money. Like it'll, 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 it'll make you feel like, well, as long as you go to church every Sunday, then you can have money. As long as you tithe, then you can have money. As long as you do this, then you can have your career and have your money. And I'm kind of like, I'm just sick of it. What, it's ta- what it, Jesus is talking about, you can't worship God and worship money. You can't put something on a pedestal and say, you are the most important thing to me and on the side say oh but you are also the most important thing to me you cannot go to your spouse you can't go to your spouse and say you are you are the love of my life and then turn around and go to your mistress and say you are also the love of my life god does this with our idols god does this and I'm, I'm trying to say this without even saying it, but many of us idolize church. Many of us idolize this place. And there's a part of me as a, as a pastor, I'm like, oh man, they must really like our church. Like they like it a lot. And I have to constantly remind myself, I don't want you to love our church. I want you to love God. Because who cares if you love our church? Who, that doesn't, that's not going to save you. God is not going to be judging you in heaven and saying, how many times did you go to church on Sunday? And, and you know what? This is, this is really where I don't think God's going to ask that question. God's not going to ask the question, so how much money did you give me? He doesn't care about that. God cares. Do you love him? And you're not allowed to replace God and say, well, God, I, you know what? I really struggled with loving you, but I really did love my small group. I love my community. I love the fellowship. I love those things. I think God's going to say, that's fine. You love those things, but do you love me? Do you love me? I think many times in, in, in my time in church, um, I, I've kind of fallen into understanding church as being very important. Church is not that important in comparison to how important God is. It's not that important. It's great. It's wonderful. I'm so happy that you're here today. I'm so happy that this is the place we can go into God's word. And God's word is so wonderful because it's from God. But I want us to understand something that I will, I will, I will stand on this mountain and I will die on it if I have to. Nothing is as important as God. Nothing comes in comparison. And when you do compare it, everything becomes insignificant. And this is, not where it, this is where it gets very hard because I look at my family and it has to come to a point where it is my family my God. Do I worship 
the fact that I have a family. If my family was taken away from me, would that destroy my faith? And let me tell you, it might. This is, this is where it gets hard because it might. If, 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 I, I, remember, I still remember when my daughter was in surgery, and she went in surgery twice, and she's being put under the anesthesia. And it's just like, God, please help her to be safe because if, she go, if she's not alive, like, what is that going to do to me? There are times where I have to realize I do not base my purpose as being a father. I base my purpose on following God. And if God allows me to go through something like that, I trust in him. It's hard. None of this is easy. I talked a few weeks ago about how Jesus came to wash our feet. And we talked about how Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And I think that, that I, I, love, I love that Jesus did that because it showed that Jesus came to serve us not to be served, that he came to serve, not to be served. And again, this is what Jesus even explains to them. He's like, I I did not come to be served. I came to serve. I think there's a problem, though, with the way we respond to that. When we have our feet being washed by the Savior of the world, by God himself, there there is this thing that we do that is so despicable. We begin to look at Jesus, and we're like, oh, man, you washed my feet? And we say, thank you. And so the next time we come, We go, Jesus, my feet are a little stinky. They're a little dirty. Can you wash them again? And we we come back next week and we say, Jesus, can you wash my feet again? And what we end up doing is, is Jesus, instead of being our Savior, becomes a glorified foot washer. Again, yes, Jesus came to serve and not to be served, but this does not give us the right to disrespect Christ and to put him as a mere puppet to our agenda and our desire. I'm just going to get to the point. And our church is planning on buying a building. Our church is planning on, on, on doing this thing, and it's very exciting. It's like, whoa, look at what God is doing. Look at what we're able to do. But there is this part of me, there is this part of me that if Jesus was in our sanctuary today, if Jesus was just sitting like right there, and he was just sitting, like, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question. Like, let me just like pose this idea out. What would we be asking of Jesus? See, I think, I think there's some of us that many times when, when, when we have our agenda and we have our plans and our desires, we would be like, oh man, Jesus is here. Let's go up to him and be like, hey, Jesus, you know, our church is trying to buy a building. Can you help us? Can, can you bless us and maybe send some money our way or send some resources our way? Because we really want to buy this building. And oh, oh, this building is for you, but can you please just help me, help me out a little bit? That's the wrong attitude. If Jesus was here today, I hope and I pray that our response as a congregation would be just to bow at his feet, just to lay prostrate before him, just to go before him and say, this is all for you. My life is yours. Everything is yours. Forget our plans. Forget our desires. Forget our agenda. The only reason why we're here is not to boost up our church. It's to boost you up. If you're here in this place, all I want to do is put you on my pedestal and worship and glorify you. It's not about the church. It's all about you. The church is meant to be a tool in order to glorify God, not the other way around. God does not want to glorify the church. 
The church is to glorify God. And if the church glorifies God, God blesses the church. But God does not bless the church for the church's sake. So with this building, it is to be a tool, not the center of attention. The building is is, is a way in which we can glorify and worship our Father. But if at any moment it becomes the focus, the reason why we exist is to buy property. No. The reason why we exist is to worship God. And the God we worship is here to serve us. But again, we are not here to demand from God, God, you must follow our plans, and we did all this planning, and so therefore you must do what we say. No. If Jesus was here today, it would not be saying, Jesus, these are all of our plans. Please, would you sign your stamp of approval? If Jesus was here today, it would say, well, Lord, we have these plans, but you tell us what to do. You tell me what to do. And if Jesus goes to our plans, he says, well, I think they're good plans. Then instead of focusing so much on the plans, again, just fall prostrate and say, thank you, Jesus, for giving us your direction and your guidance in what we do. I think there's a part of me, and I've been thinking about what if Jesus was here in our midst. And, and there's a, there, let me just tell you how, how corrupt I am. I'm so corrupt, it would be like this. If Jesus was in our congregation as a member and a congregant, I'd probably be like, hey, Jesus, can you give your testimony? Everybody, Jesus, welcome Jesus to LCC. Everybody, and send out flyers and posters everywhere and being like, we have Jesus as the guest of honor, so come to our church and you should give to our church because look at what we're doing and Jesus himself is giving his testimony. So everyone, come every Sunday because Jesus is the main speaker. No. No. That's so corrupt. That's so so much about building our church, building our community, building up our lives. I think it would really be if Jesus was here, instead of him trying to use him to build our church, I think I would say, Jesus, we are willing to empty our bank accounts for you. Jesus, we're willing to give everything for you. And if that means that we no longer worship in a building, we go worship in a tent We'll do it for you. But you tell us what to do. And when you say the word, we'll do it because our God is not the church. The church is but a building. The church is but a group of people. We don't matter in comparison to how much you matter. The world hates Jesus because the world hears from Jesus that I am the only way, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the world says, no, 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 no. I have a different way. I have a different truth. And I have my own life. Jesus says that he is clear that there is only one way to the Father. And the only one way is through the Son. It's only through him. The world says, no, 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 no. I can make for myself a good life if I am a good person. And I have a good family. And I have a good house. And I have a good job. So please, Jesus, don't tell me that you are the only way. You are not the only way. The world killed Jesus because Jesus was not interested in their religion. Jesus was interested in their relationship, in their devotion. Church should be a place where devoted believers gather to worship God. But sometimes, many times, church becomes a place where I just placate your idols. 
or just make you feel like your idols aren't so bad because that person over there has an idol of drugs <laughs> and your idol is success. So good job. I would much rather have the idol of success in our church than the idol of drugs in our church because, man, those druggies, they're so bad. I'm sorry. Our church will not stand for that. If your idol, if the idol in your life is not Jesus, Again, Jesus isn't an idol because he's God, and therefore he's the one that's worthy of being called God. Everything else that's called God that isn't God is an idol. But God himself is worthy of our praise. If you try to bring anything in this church and make it an idol, I am going to do my best with my dying breath to say only Jesus and nothing else. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more sensitive these days to, to preaching, to, to what I hear in churches. And there are times where I have to turn it off. Because there are times where you, you have a pastor and he's not talking about Jesus, but he's talking about something else. And he's talking about how something else will give you a good life. I'm sorry. I will not stand for that in our church. So even today as we talk about the building the building is not going to give our church a better life. It's not. But if it's the will of God, if it's a tool that we can use to worship God, this is, this is really where these past few weeks, months even, going through all of this, trying to lead a, a church, trying to lead a congregation, I'm pulling my hair out. Truly, uh, there are times where I'm just like, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to run away. I want to go away because this is too hard. Like, why am I here? What's, what's the point? And I realize something. I realize something. <laughs> I'm not here for you. I'm not here for a building. I'm not here for Sundays. Because you know what? God would be really pleased with me as a person, even if I never went to church on Sunday. God would be pleased with me, even if I didn't do ministry, even if I quit today. God would be pleased with me. If, even if I, I left my family and I ran away, God would be pleased with me, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And it's in that freedom, it's in that freedom that no matter what I do, that God is pleased with me because of what Jesus did on the cross, that now I can live in freedom. And I can say, okay, God, so you're happy with me, you love me, and you want a relationship with me, so what do you want me to do? And this is where God may be telling me, you should be in ministry. God may be telling me, you need to be a good father, you need to be a good husband. God, what if I fail? That's okay. I'm still pleased with you. You're telling me, no matter how many times I mess up, you're still pleased with me. Absolutely, son. I'm pleased with you. So go and do good. I think a lot of us get paralyzed, and, and we're, so, we're so focused on making sure we do the right thing, we forget that we're already accepted. Let me tell you something. I know, again, the building's on my mind, and I'm, I'm sure it's on yours as well. But the question I have, what if we buy this building and it's a failure? Truly, what if we buy this building and, and we find out the building has asbestos and has black mold and it has, it's like the foundation's cracked and broken and uneven. What if we would go in there and we find out that it's a, it's a, it's a den for, 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 you know, some crazy disease. And it's like all of a sudden the building is condemned. We failed. 
But did we? Does that really bring about failure? Because our failure would just be a testimony. Our failure would just be a, a way to trust in God even more. You are not God. I'm not God. The building is not God. The things that we bolster up are not God. The one focus that we have as a church is God, is Jesus. All I, all I ask and all I pray is that would you allow our community to have that sole focus? I, I've, already, I've already told you and confessed to you that I will only preach Jesus up here. If, I've, if, I, if I want to talk to you about how to take care of your finances, take care of your marriages, take care of your families, find someone else. Because I am not an expert in any of those fields. But the one thing that I can share with you week in and week out is that we are saved by the blood of Jesus. And therefore, you are fully accepted. And now we can live our lives in freedom. Because even if you are a druggie, even if you are an alcoholic, there is freedom for you because God loves you and he cares about you and he desires relationship with you. And so once you experience that relationship, then you no longer are in chains to the idols that you have, but you are free to do what God has made you to do. I pray as you are religious people, do not be chained down to your religion, but instead be freed into a relationship with Christ. Let us not be tied down and bogged down by all of the responsibilities that we have, but instead let us be free in the way we worship our Savior. Let's pray. Father, the world is going to hate us. The world is going to hate us because they want different idols. They want different things that are of importance and that are on the seat of worship. But Lord, we have committed that you are the only one on the seat of worship that you are the only one worthy of our praise. And so, yes, if the, if the world persecutes us, we accept it. But, Father, I pray and I ask that you would love us. I pray and ask that you would forgive us. You would be gracious to us because we make so many mistakes. And I thank you for Jesus, knowing that he is the reason why we are gathered here today, because he has saved us. Father, I pray for this building that we are planning on purchasing. Father, if it's your will, let it happen. If it's not, let it not and God, that's all I ask. All I ask is not that we have a nice building. It's not that we have a nice place to worship. That doesn't matter. I pray that if it's your will, that we, it happens. That if it, it's not your will, that it does not. Father, I would rather worship in a cardboard box if it's your will than worship in a, in a palace of gold. Father, you are the Lord. You are the center of our attention, and you are the reason why we gather. We want to spread your love to the ends of this world, to the ends of the earth. So, Father, help us to do this, because it's only by your power and by your will that it will be accomplished. Lord, I pray that we would not be like the Pharisees, that we would hear the words of Jesus and we would act and respond to them, not with hatred, but with love. Father, I pray that as you call us to let go of our idols and let go of our other gods, that you would help us in our weakness. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.